On our first teaching, I talked about basically how important the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. And I basically was trying to say that it should not be optional, but really God intended that his word always be preached and confirmed with signs following. We use Mark 16:20 to say that, and of course many other scriptures. I also spent a brief period of time uh, talking about how that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still valid for us today. I didn't spend a lot on that. It certainly was not a complete explanation. But since there are so many people in the body of Christ today who believe that the gifts passed away with the apostles or they believe that they aren't important and necessary for us today, I felt that I had to at least address those things as we begin to start talking about how to flow in the gifts. On this second teaching in the three uh, teaching set on how to flow in the gifts, I want to just talk about something that is very simple. Matter of fact, it is so simple, it may be overlooked. Some of you may not really understand the importance of it. But in my estimation, I believe that the number one reason that people who believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost and believe in the gifts of the Holy Ghost do not flow in those gifts is because they have misconceptions about how God operates these gifts. There's a couple of things. First of all, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the uh, Apostle Paul here was talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to give a complete teaching on the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that were listed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just say that these nine gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 are not all-inclusive. There's also seven gifts that are listed in Romans chapter 12, and I'm not sure that that's all-inclusive. In other words, this is just talking about how some of these gifts operated, but this doesn't mean that these are the only supernatural giftings that God operates in people. But let me just break into the midst of some of the things that are being said here by the Apostle Paul. And it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, In verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now again, you could take this in context and probably get a lot more out of it, but the point I'm wanting to make here is that God gives gifts of the Holy Spirit to every born-again believer who will receive the Holy Spirit and His gifts. Every person has gifts. And there's a lot of people that don't recognize that. The truth is, according to this this scripture, that all born-again, spirit-filled believers have gifts of the Holy Spirit given unto them. And it says in this same context right here that the Holy Spirit gives to every man severally as he wills. In other words, what that is saying is that uh, every person has not only one gift of the Holy Spirit, but uh, several gifts of the Holy Spirit, potentially. I've heard some people teach that you can actually operate in every single one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure that that's true, but this verse, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, says that the one in the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. So these scriptures say that every born-again, spirit-filled person who receives the Holy Spirit has 
at least one or possibly several gifts of the Holy Spirit in them. Now that it has to be a position that you start from that God has already given them. And it's more a matter of discovering what your gifts are than it is trying to get God to give you gifts. Now that's one very important misconception that most people have. Most people do not believe that you already have these gifts. They believe that you have to uh, do something to obtain them. But the scripture teaches that you already have them. And then probably the biggest hindrance that I have experienced in my own life and in dealing with other people is this concept that the gifts of the Holy Spirit come and go at God's whims. Now, you may not phrase it that way, but I can guarantee you that if you are one of those who have been around people who believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and operate in it, you have heard statements that lead to the conclusion that God just comes and goes upon people and that the gifts of the Holy Spirit only operate uh, at certain times. They, uh, the Holy Spirit is easily offended. I'm sure that many of you have been in a service where the minister would stand up and say, don't anybody move. You might grieve the Holy Spirit. I actually heard a sermon by a man one time who preached that if you chewed gum, that it could grieve the Holy Spirit, and it, that was showing disreverence, and it could quench the Spirit in a service. Now, most people would say, oh, that's a little extreme, and I don't believe that. But they might believe that same principle that, uh, you know, everybody, nobody can get up and move around. Everybody has to be still during the service. I certainly don't believe that that has a scriptural foundation. The Bible does say that we can quench the Holy Spirit, but it's not talking about moving around and things like that during a service and our religious traditions and that you have to wear robes and that you have to be dignified and look sour and pale and anemic. And those kind of things are just religious concepts. In Jesus' ministry, he certainly operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I can imagine that his meetings were like a circus. I mean, he had thousands of people there, and there were children there. We know that from Mark chapter 6 when he fed the multitude. There was a young lad there who had, you know, of course, the five loaves and the two fish. So there were children there. There's no way that children just were sitting perfectly still. Also, you got to remember that they didn't have restroom facilities out in the wilderness. I mean, there was thousands of people there. They stayed for days. They had to relieve themselves. There had to be people getting up and moving around and walking out to the edge of where all the people were to take care of that business. There were also hecklers over there, the scribes and the Pharisees and the and the Herodians that heckled Jesus. And we have scriptural accounts of how that they... Uh, called out to him. Also, people were being healed. Demons were coming out. This whole concept of that you can't move and that you'll grieve the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is so sensitive that if you do something wrong, he'll just leave. That the gifts come and go based on some intangible thing that we cannot understand. I really believe that that is a huge hindrance to flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I personally believe based on Scripture, and I'm going to be sharing some of this with you, that the Lord is always, always, always ready and willing to flow through us, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to minister to people. And it basically just comes from the fact that God loves people. 
And it doesn't matter who you are ministering to. It doesn't matter who you're around. It doesn't matter if you think that they're a spiritual giant. There is not a single person that has reached the fullness of everything that we can have and should be in Christ. And so there's always something more that God is wanting to impart to a person. They, If nothing else, they could just be strengthened and encouraged in the things that they're already operating in. But I believe that God has always got something more to manifest in people's lives. And, of course, the way he does that is through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't weird. They aren't strange. They're spooky. They're just God ministering to people uh, beyond human ability. It is God supernaturally flowing through us to reach people. That's what all of these gifts of the Holy Spirit are. And again, I say that he is always wanting to minister to people. And if you understand this, then instead of thinking that the Holy Spirit just comes and goes, you'll understand that what happens is we may come and go in our perception of what God is wanting to say and do through us to other people. But God is not as frail and is sensitive and is easily offended, and he certainly doesn't come and go the way that he's often represented, especially with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think that this arises from people who are trying to dramatize and make the gifts of the Holy Spirit spectacular, which they certainly are supernatural, and I'm not saying that we should take them for granted or despise them, but at the same time, it is perfectly normal, natural, for a born-again, spirit-filled Christian to be able to minister to people with words of knowledge and wisdom that don't originate from any physical evidence that they have or their own mental ability. But we are more than just physical. We have God living on the inside of us, and he knows things about us and about other people that we couldn't ever know in our little peanut brain. And given a chance, he just always is willing to flow. It is normal. It's natural for that to happen. And so I think that in an effort to dramatize and make this dramatic and something special, that we often say, oh, man, here is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I remember a minister, I won't mention their names because I'm certainly not against them, and I'm not trying to criticize anybody else, but I believe this was a religious tradition. I have been set free of thousands of religious traditions, but you know what? God is still dealing with me, and I wouldn't be surprised if I still have some religious traditions in me. And so I'm not condemned about myself. I'm not condemning any other person. But I remember one person who operated very strong in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And as they would be ministering, all of a sudden they'd stop and they'd say, here come the angels of God into this building. Now the gifts of the Holy Ghost are beginning to flow. And they would present it as if there just wasn't an anointing. There wasn't a desire on God's part to minister unto those people until that exact moment. And by stating it that way, it was very dramatic. It caused people to anticipate and expect the miraculous because of what this minister was saying. And it had a desired effect, and God used it. But I honestly do not believe that God just comes and goes like that upon people. And on the other side of that coin, I've been around many ministers who were praying for people and flowing in the gifts of the Holy Ghost and seeing great miracles happen. And then all of a sudden they just say, well, the anointing's lifted. I can't pray for anyone else. And I've seen people standing in prayer lines who were very in need 
of God touching them, but the anointing lifted, and so they were just without. And I've seen some of those people go away hurt and offended, like, what's the matter? Did God not care about me? Now, again, I'm not trying to criticize that minister, but you know what I believe is more accurate is that that minister just reached their limit of praying for people and flowing in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. I don't believe God got tired and God got weary or that God didn't want to minister to any of the rest of the people. But I know from my own personal experience, I've prayed for people as many as five or six hours flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it's tiring. And after a while, man, I mean, your body's tired. Your mind wears out. That's not a criticism of me or of anybody else. But I'm saying when that happens, it would be tempting for me just to say, oh, man, I feel that the anointing's left. I just can't pray for anybody else. But I don't believe that's accurate. It would be accurate for me to say, you know what? I'm so worn out that I'm not responding to God the way that I want to, the way that I need to, and I'm just going to have to quit. I'm worn out. I think that would be more accurate. That would be have more integrity in our statement. But often you'll hear ministers just say, whoops, there goes the anointing. God's left. We can't pray for people. <clears throat> I don't believe that God comes and goes like that, but rather the Lord is always always, always desiring to flow through us and touch people. And, of course, we don't always uh, operate that way towards people, but it's not because God doesn't desire to do it. It's because we are sometimes receptive to God and sensitive to God's leading, and at other times we aren't. At other times we're absolutely self-centered. Sometimes we're thinking on other things. Sometimes our mind is just occupied maybe with our own problems or whatever, and we aren't sensitive. But I know that any time I go to pressing in and just, you know, if I was to start my day and say, Father, I really want to be used of you today, and I want to I want to minister to people. I mean, the people behind the counter when I go into a convenience store, the people that pump gas or that I give them the money, the, every person that I come into contact with, Use me today to minister to those people. If I pray like that and focus on that, you know, it's nearly inevitable that I will minister to some of those people that day. But it's very easy for me to not even think about that, go about doing my own thing, go in and out of stores, and never think about a person behind the counter. And if I don't do that, I don't believe it's God that didn't want me to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it's me that wasn't sensitive to what God could have done and wanted to do through me. I'm going to be sharing some scriptures here in just a moment, but I'm just trying to lay out this principle, and then we'll uh, verify it by scripture. But let me give you one last example, that when we began our Bible college, I think it was in 1970 or 1994, that the very first group of students that were in there were just hungry, and they were asking all kinds of questions. And I was teaching on this very thing that I'm sharing here about how that God is always wanting and willing to flow through us in gifts. And it's not God who's on and off, but it's us who are on and off. It's us who don't always perceive or allow God to flow through us. And as I was sharing this with them, I just made a statement to the class. I said, you know what? I could, the gifts that I have from the Holy Spirit, I could just start right here on the front row and go down the row, and I could minister to every person in here. I don't have to wait on God to just do something special. I said, these gifts are in me, 
And I know that God loves every one of you, that every one of you have something more that God would like to give you. And if I will just stir myself up and get focused on the Lord, God would give me a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a discerning of spirits for every single person in this class. Now, that was quite a statement. And when I made that, some of the students just immediately said, well, prove it. Do it. And you know what? I just started down the row. I mean, I don't even know how many students we had at that time, probably around 60 students. And I just started down the row. And I, first of all, just started praising God to get my attention, my heart focused on the things of the Lord. And then I went to that first person and I said, Father, I know that you love them and that you have more for them than what they've understood or received. And and we just draw on that. I stir up the gift on the inside of me. That's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6. Stir up the gift. In other words, don't wait for the gift to stir you up, but stir up the gift that's in you. And so I started praying like that, and pretty soon here came a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge, and I started ministering to these people. And I don't remember any of the specifics, but I remember that it was so right on the things that the Holy Spirit ministered through me. People started crying. People started being delivered. And you know what? We actually had to cancel the rest of the school day and all of the teaching sessions, and people were lined up, and I was praying for them, and people got healed, and people got delivered, and great things happened. And I mean time after time after time, the students said that was exactly true. Nobody knew what had happened to me. Nobody knew what I was feeling. This had to be the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I can do that at any time that I just get myself focused on God. And the truth is, when I minister in our Bible college, most of the time, I don't do that because it literally disrupted all the rest of the teaching. And I feel that I have a valid gift of teaching and that when I'm teaching people, just like I'm doing right here, I don't think that this is inferior to operating in a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and a discerning of spirits. Teaching the word of God is also a spiritual gift that's listed in Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12. And I'm ministering to people through this. And I consider my teaching gift to actually be more important than the other gifts. Like I specifically operate in a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, and a discerning of spirits. And so I don't consider, uh, you know, the gifts of of these word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits, I don't consider them to be lesser or inferior. But my dominant gift, the main thing God has called me to do is to teach the word of God. But I supplement that and add to it and increase the ministry that God does through me by operating in these other gifts. So I can do it at any time. But, you know, in our classroom, I only pray for the students occasionally. And I spend the majority of my time teaching them. I learn by this example that if I start doing that, everybody wants a word. Everybody wants something from God. And even though there's benefit in that, I can't be with the students all of the time. And actually, my biggest contribution I can make to them is to use my teaching gift and to teach them the Word of God and to teach them how to hear the voice of God and to receive directly from God. And that actually is more beneficial than me just operating in the gifts and ministering to them on an individual basis. But I bring that up just to say that I've proven this, and I've seen it many times. There are so many times in my meetings that people come up and they ask for prayer, and the truth is I'm worn out. I'm tired. And believe it or not, there are times that my attention is focused on other things. 
I've got things that I have to deal with. I've got uh, tapes to make, people to see, places to go. And, and there's times that I'm just not really focused on the Lord the way that I should be. And if I didn't hold this truth that I have just shared with you, that God is always wanting and willing to flow through me through these gifts of the Spirit, if I didn't believe that, then there are times that I just wouldn't pray for people. I'd say, well, I just don't have anything. God hasn't given me anything because I just honestly am not focused on the Lord sometimes. But because of this truth, I know that God is always wanting and willing to minister. So therefore, when the need arises, I stir myself up. I just get into a place where my mind is focused on the Lord I know that that's the nature and the character of God, and I allow him to flow through me. And because of that, since I've understood this, I can flow in the gifts of the Spirit nearly at all times. And again, the few times that I just don't seem to be able to connect, it's not because God isn't switched on and communicating. I believe it's because I'm switched off and just not receptive. And I am physical and flesh, and I do make those mistakes. So there are some times that I just honestly don't operate in the Holy Spirit, but they are very few now since I learned this, and uh, I certainly see more gifts of the Holy Spirit operate. Let me just use a comparison to illustrate this, talking about the gift of speaking in tongues. This is one of the nine gifts that's listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when a person receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is typical that they speak in tongues. Again, I'm not going to spend a whole teaching. I could spend an hour going through the book of Acts and verifying this. But in the book of Acts, there are most of the instances where somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was obvious that they spoke in tongues. And in the other instances where it may not mention that they spoke in tongues, it's inferred that something happened that the people could hear or see. There was a visible, uh, audible effect that the Holy Spirit had in their life, and to be consistent with the obvious times in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit was received, it would make sense that it was the gift of speaking in tongues. I'm not going to uh, deliberate on that any longer, but let me. I just believe that speaking in tongues is one of the very first things that happens when a person receives the Holy Spirit. And this gift of speaking in tongues is exactly like I've been describing here about all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait on the Holy Spirit to just come upon you and overwhelm you to speak in tongues. Now, this is very important that you get this because there is a segment of the body of Christ, the Pentecostal movement, that uh, when they first began to start receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, there is a typical doctrine that you couldn't pray in tongues when you wanted to. As a matter of fact, that was actually frowned upon and looked at as nearly blasphemy. You can't just speak in tongues when you want to. You had to wait on the power of God to come upon you. And because of this, they developed a doctrine about tarrying, waiting for the Holy Spirit. It was not uncommon for some of the early Pentecostals to spend 20 years seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost and just waiting on God to give it to them. And they would just wait on it to happen. And that certainly is not what the Scripture teaches. As a matter of fact, when I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I was seeking to speak in tongues, and I was desiring that gift, I actually was held back 
by a false concept that the Holy Spirit had to just come upon me and overwhelm me and speak through me. Now, this is a very crude example, but this is exactly what the Lord spoke to me through. He speaks to me in ways that I can receive it. So cut me some mercy here. Give me some grace. But I honestly felt like that when you spoke with the Holy Spirit, I would ask God and seek. But then when it came, I expected it to be like when you threw up, that you could put your hand over your mouth. You could try and stop it, do what you want to, but boom, it was coming out and you couldn't control it. And that's the kind of experience that I was waiting on. And because of that, I waited three and a half years after I believe I received the Holy Spirit before I actually began to start speaking in tongues. I've got all of this in a lot more detail, but let me just use one of the scriptures that the Lord really spoke to me. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon them In verse 3, it says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now notice here in verse 4, it says, They began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You know, if you'll think about that and meditate on that, what this is saying is the Holy Spirit did not speak in tongues through them. They spoke with tongues as the Spirit inspired them. As a matter of fact, here's a scripture that goes right along with this. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 14 and verse 14, it says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. When you speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak through you and take control of you and literally just manipulate you and move your mouth. Now, some of you, this may be obvious to you, but I'm trying to illustrate a point here. In the same way that the gift of speaking in tongues is not something that just overwhelms you and that you only do it when the Holy Spirit just literally forces his way through you, that he comes on and just flows through you, and then all of a sudden he leaves and it's over. That is not the way that the gift of speaking in tongues is. But you have to speak in tongues, and the Holy Spirit gives the inspiration. As a matter of fact, I liken this to my gift of teaching. And most of you can relate to some preacher. And the way that a minister ministers, it is God that inspires them, but the Holy Spirit doesn't take their mouth and speak through them word for word. You know, a minister, when they preach, in my case, I've got a Texas accent. I'm a a hick from Texas. And you know what? The Holy Spirit speaks through me, and I've seen thousands, tens of thousands of people's lives change. I know that what I say when I'm preaching, that God inspires it and that God uses it. But you know, God doesn't speak in a Texas accent. God isn't a hick. God would never use the bad English that I use. God doesn't speak through me just directly and control me and overcome me. And, I, and, you know, these words are just coming out of me and I have no control over them. That's not the way that it operates. You can't stand up and say, Father, I ask you to use me. Don't let me say any word that is not of you. And then just open up your mouth and stick your tongue out and wait on God to make you preach correctly. That's wrong. 
God inspires you. He gives you inspiration, but it comes out in your words, through your personality, with your accent, with your grammar, uh, the you know, just as I messed up right now, with your ability to speak correctly, that's the way that the Holy Ghost comes out of you. It's you speaking, but it's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's the way a preacher ministers. Well, that's the way that you speak in tongues. If you're waiting on the Holy Spirit to make you speak in tongues, it'll never happen. God gives you the inspiration, the utterance, as it says in Acts 2, 4, but you have to do the speaking. In Mark chapter 16, verse 18 or 17, it says, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. You do the speaking. The Holy Spirit does the inspiring. And again, in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, if you pray in an unknown tongue, your spirit is praying. Not the Holy Spirit, but your spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires it, but it is your born-again spirit that does the praying. And so because of this, what I'm saying through all of this is that you are the one who speaks in tongues, and you can initiate speaking in tongues at any time. Again, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at some of the statements that the Apostle Paul made about speaking in tongues. In verse 15, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 15, he says, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, that's talking about speaking in tongues, and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Notice he said, I will. It's a decision. It's a choice. I will pray with the Spirit. I will sing in the Spirit. He goes on down in verse 18, and he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. And this is, if you take it in context, what he's talking about here is he chose to speak in tongues. He prayed in tongues more than everybody. It's not that God just moved upon him more than everybody. But Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. I believe that he was saying more than all of you put together. And it was because he willed to do it. He chose to operate in this. Here's some more scriptures that would go right along with this. In the last verse of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians He says, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, why would the Lord tell us to covet gifts if they just came and went and they were given completely according to the whims of God and his choice and we had nothing to do with it? No, you can initiate the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can literally jumpstart yourself to flow in the Holy Spirit. And down in chapter 14, verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts but rather that you may prophesy. Paul here is telling these people that they need to choose the best gifts. They need to covet earnestly the best gifts. They can initiate these things. Again, I refer to 2 Timothy 1.6 where Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that was in him, which was given unto him by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So see, all of these things I'm talking about are about how you initiate the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then the very context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul is telling these people how to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit and proper conduct to use in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 14 especially, he puts limits on it. 
And he says that if anybody is speaking in tongues, then don't speak in tongues unless there is an interpretation to accompany it. Now, stop and think about this. He's basically saying don't flow, don't let the Holy Spirit give utterance through you unless there is an interpretation to go with it. Now, some people who just believe that God moves on you and it just comes out and you can't control it, those kind of people would look at this and say, that's blasphemy. This is quenching the Holy Spirit. You can't do that. You can't control the Holy Spirit. Well, again, it's not you controlling the Holy Spirit. It's not you turning on and off the Holy Spirit, but rather it's this concept that the Holy Spirit is always on, and it's you turning on and off yourself. The Holy Spirit is always willing to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to ever turn him on. It's not you you know, motivating the Holy Spirit, but he's always motivated. But you have to do things to turn you on, and you can turn you off. There are times that it's inappropriate to just speak in tongues. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He put limitations and says that even at if it's done in order, then it has to be at the most by two or by three people speaking in tongues with an interpreter. And then it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 32, it says, uh, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, again, this is a radical statement. This is basically saying that, you know what? You can follow these instructions and you can operate decently and in order when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, there are a large segment of the Spirit-filled community in the body of Christ who don't believe that you have any control over operating in the gifts. And therefore, they believe it is totally ecstatic when a person is moved upon by the Holy Spirit, and they have these uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit that I'm not here to judge or to say that they're all wrong, but I can certainly say that they have been taken to an extreme and gone overboard with because of this concept that it's just pure Holy Spirit controlling you and dominating you, and that's not true. When you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit and inspires what you're doing, but he doesn't control exactly. You know, I had a woman one time that was in one of my services, and my wife was singing and leading the service. We had two, 300 people there, and my wife was singing a very soft song, Hallelujah, and we were just worshiping the Lord. And in the midst of this, a woman at the back of the auditorium just started screaming. I mean, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! And she started jerking and flopping all over the place. And you know what? I understand that there are people that that's kind of a religious tradition to them, a religious thing. I don't think it's always terrible, but it's just religious. And that's the way that some people have been made to believe you have to act when the Holy Spirit is on you. So we gave place to it for a little bit, but she just continued on. And it actually got so loud and so bothersome that nobody's attention was on the Lord. Nobody was worshiping the Lord. She was offending everybody in the place. It was totally out of order. So I sent some of my people who worked for me back and, and asked them to tell her to quiet down. They came back and said she won't listen. She says it's God. She can't control it. The Holy Ghost is all over her. So I went back to talk to this lady. And I talked to her and I said this is not the Holy Ghost. And I used this scripture 
1 Corinthians 14.32. And I said, the spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. This woman was telling me that she couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit was over her and making her do this. And I use this verse to say, no, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you do anything. He might inspire you to do something, but it says here that you can control it. It is subject unto you. And if you can't control it, then it's not the Holy Spirit. Then it's just a religious spirit, a religious demon. Some of you listening to this teaching may think, man, are there such things? There certainly are. There's an abundance of them. So anyway, I was sharing this with this woman, and she just wouldn't hear it. She says, no, 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 this is God. I can't control it. And she was flopping and shouting and screaming. Finally, I told this woman, I said, look, that is not God that's motivating you because you can't control it. And I said, that's the devil, and I'm getting this devil out of this service. If you want to, I can cast him out of you and make him leave. But if you want to keep him, then I'm going to carry you out and the devil with you. And this woman just, no, no, this is God. Hallelujah. She started screaming. So anyway, me and some of my workers picked this woman up and put her outside. And we told her that we loved her and we weren't against her. But we just weren't going to let that operate in the service. Then I went back into the service and explained to the people what was going on. And it turned out to be a positive thing. And they saw, I believe, a a proper way of administering the gifts of the Spirit. And you know what? Years later, I was at uh, an ice skating thing at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. And this woman yelled at me and asked me to come up and see her. She was sitting up at the top of the bleachers. I went up there. She had some popcorn And she shared some popcorn with me, and I got to talking to her and asking how she was doing. And this woman thanked me and said, you are the first person who ever confronted that and told me that I was wrong. And she says, you know what? I have been kicked out of churches. I've had people yell at me. I've been, it's caused me a lot of problems. And she said, I couldn't control it. And after you talked to me, I finally got free from that. And she said, it has just changed my life. And the woman was thanking me and and uh, praising God for the deliverance that she had. My point here is to say there are some people who believe that, no, the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you just can't control it. I've heard of people dancing in the Holy Ghost to where they just go ecstatic and do things. Now, if you want to say that you are feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit and you are excited and you just want to dance... And it's not that you can't stop, but that you don't want to stop. And if you want to dance or shout or praise God, and if it's in a a place in the service where you can do that without offending or without distracting from what God is doing, well, then that's fine. And you can do that. And I'm not against manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying when a person says, I can't help it, I can't control it, and that this has just happened to you, then that doesn't square with Scripture. You know what? The gifts of the Holy Spirit never just control you and dominate you to the point that you have zero choice in it. That is not the way the Holy Spirit operates. The devil operates that way. He possesses and makes people and forces people to do things, but God's not like that. God inspires and prods and leads, but he doesn't force and control. That is not the nature of God. So all of this is said to say this that you know what, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are always available, but you you don't have the Holy Spirit just come upon you and make you operate in them. You have to press in. You have to 
believe that God is always ready and willing to minister to people. And whenever you get ready and willing, that you can tap in to those gifts of the Holy Spirit and they will flow through you. And now that is a radical revelation. Now again, this isn't everything that you need to know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I believe that this is the number one hindrance is that people are just waiting on God to do something and they aren't understanding that it's not us waiting on God. God is waiting on us to place a demand on him, to get into a position of faith to where we can reach out and start ministering to people. Now you have to already know some things about the gifts of the Holy Spirit But this is talking about how you flow in it. I'm not trying to identify what these gifts are and tell you all of the ways that they work. To be truthful with you, I operate predominantly in a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. And those are the things that I'm really familiar with, and I don't understand all the rest of the gifts of the Spirit. I've done a lot of studying on it. I could teach and tell you what so many people have said about it. I can make some comments and benefit to a degree, but... I still don't understand it all. Some of you may think that's terrible, but take heart because you know what? Even though I don't understand it all, I do operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, supernaturally. At one time or the other, I've operated in all of these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't believe that they are like resident gifts on the inside of me, but in circumstances where I've had to, I've drawn on it because there was just a need and nobody else was present. And so I believed God for the gifts of healings or the gift of miracles or the gift of faith. And I've operated in them. I've operated in speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues, but I don't do that often. But you know what? I can operate in the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits just nearly at the drop of a hat. Those are like resident gifts that God has given me. Those are my dominant gifts. It's possible that maybe I've only exercised myself in that area and all the rest are available to me. I don't totally understand it all yet, but my point is that I've seen great things happen and I don't understand it all. That ought to encourage you that you don't have to be a rocket scientist and have it all figured out. But if you would just take the few things that I'm saying here and understand that God is always wanting to flow through you in these gifts and all you got to do is stir yourself up stir up the gift that's on the inside of you, well, then you can flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Quickly, let me just give you some personal testimony about how I began to start flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. First of all, I was convinced that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for us today. I experienced the baptism. I started speaking in tongues. And then I started coveting these other gifts. And the ones that I wanted more than anything were the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. I could give you reasons for that, but anyway, that's just the way it was with me. So I wanted those things. And I believed that God had given them to me, but I didn't know how to make them work. So I was. this was while I was still in the Baptist church. I went to a Baptist church encampment, and I was the youth director in the Baptist church, and I took a bunch of youth with me. But when I went that week, I had already determined that, God, I am seeking you with my whole heart. And during this week at this youth camp, I want to have you give me a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom and a discerning of spirits. And I want those gifts to function in me. And I I didn't know how to go about it, but I just was expressing the desire. And I said, God, teach me. 
show me how to flow in these gifts. So the very first night of that youth camp, there was about a thousand kids there. And a young guy came down, and he started crying, and just, I mean, he was very emotional. He cried out for God to save him. Remember, this is in the Baptist church, and this is as emotional as Baptist ever got was over somebody getting saved. And he just started screaming, and then he says, I'm saved, and it was dramatic. And, I mean, people started clapping and getting excited. And as I watched this, I just discerned in my heart that that wasn't the Spirit of God that was on him. And I had the word of knowledge saying he is not saved. That is false. It's fake. And when I thought those things and discerned it, my first reaction was, is, man, that's critical. Why are you questioning this guy? Who are you to question him and to say these things? And I was just about to dismiss, dismiss those thoughts when all of a sudden I remembered that I had been asking God to give me a discerning of spirits and a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. And I thought, how do I know that this isn't God? I mean, it certainly is out of character for me. I wouldn't have normally just judged a person like that on sight and have no knowledge about what was going on. And so instead of dismissing those thoughts, I just kind of filed them away. And I said, God, if this is you, I don't know if it's you. And if it is, I don't know what to do with it. I said, you'll have to just somehow or another confirm this to me and show me. So I went to bed that night. The next morning I got up and I was visiting with the girl whose father ran that camp. So she lived there and year after year she saw all the people who came to that camp. And she told me about the guy who came down that previous night and said he does this every year. He claims to have this great miraculous conversion and he gets everybody's attention but he's a dope dealer and he does this just to manipulate people and to gain their confidence and he sells dope every year at this conference and when she said that i mean it's just like man god struck me and said see exactly the way i discerned it exactly the way i thought about it and all of a sudden i knew man this was god i literally heard from god now see i discerned that that was not God's spirit, that that was an evil spirit that was motivating that guy. I had a word of knowledge that what I was discerning meant that this man wasn't saved. And then the next thing is a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom is just what to do about this knowledge or this discernment. In other words, it's not good enough to know something or to have a word of knowledge about what the problem is. God would never lead you to just tell a person the problem and then leave them there just to show that you had a gift. No, these gifts, see, will function together. And once you discern a situation and then you have a word of knowledge about what the problem is, then God will always give you a word of wisdom, which is uh, instruction about how to fix this problem, what to do with it. And so once I saw this, I started praising God that I had part of it. And I said, God, now show me what to do. Give me a word of wisdom about what you want me to do with what you've shown me. So that night we had another service. And this was in a Baptist church that had prayer benches down front. And people would come down there and pray at the altars. And this boy was down there just praying at the top of his lungs and acting like he was so in love with God And so the Lord just prompted me to go down there and kneel down beside him. So I knelt down beside him, and then I put my arm around him, and I said, you know, the Lord has shown me that you aren't truly born again, 
and that this wasn't genuine and uh, you aren't saved. And I was going to minister to him further, but when I said that, he got mad. He stood up, and I mean in front of these thousand people, rebuked me, you're of the devil, and he just ran around the corner of the tent and left. And there I was, kneeling down. I mean, people looking at me, and I thought, well, God, that really went well. And I was thinking, what do I do? And uh, while I was down there, I probably only stayed there about 10 minutes. I was just praying. And then I looked up, and there was that same guy standing around the corner of the tent and motioning for me. So I went out of the tent, walked around the side, and this guy got me, and he says, you know, you are the only person here that had enough perception to know what was going on. And then he confessed to me exactly what this girl had told me. He says, no, I'm just faking it. I'm here. I'm a dope dealer, and I did this to sell dope to people. And the guy humbled himself, and he began to cry. And he says, you know, I need help. And he says, I've got demons on the inside of me. He says, do you believe in demons? And, of course, you know, at this Baptist encampment, I might have been the only one there who believed that, you know, a person could have demons. And I told him I certainly did, and I'd seen demons cast out. And he said, would you pray for me? So I took him back to the dorm while this service was going on and got this guy delivered of these demons, and it was powerful. And that was my first experience flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I came to realize that I had a lot of discernment and thoughts and things like that in the past, and I just blew them off. I refused to acknowledge him because my logic would kick in and say, how do you know this? You don't know this about a person. I need to put a little disclaimer in here or a word of caution that somebody may be listening to this and saying, well, you know what? I've had this discernment of spirit. There's lots of times I've felt things. And so you are maybe being emboldened to just uh, whatever thought comes through your head to speak it out and claim that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. This is not justification for you having a critical spirit. A critical spirit and a discerning of spirit are, of spirits are two different things. There are some people that are just negative about everything. And you know what? If you always see the wrong side of everything, sooner or later you're going to be right about something because there's a lot of negative things. And that will be confirmation to you that this was God. And no, it may not have been God. It just may be that you're negative and critical. The way, there's two things that you do to discern this. First of all, Psalms chapter 37, verse 4, says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he'll give you whatever you want, but it means that when you are delighting yourself in the Lord, when you are seeking God with all of your heart, God puts his desires, and I believe you could go as far as to say his thoughts, his perceptions in your heart. So, the first step to judge whether these discernments, words of knowledge, quote-unquote, are really of God is, are you truly seeking God with all of your heart? Are you truly delighting yourself in the Lord? If you aren't, and if you aren't confident that you are putting God first place in your life, then you don't need to follow any of your discernment and your thoughts. That's dangerous, because you can also hear the devil or your own thoughts as well as God's thoughts. So, no, you can't just go on this discernment. Then the second thing that you do, if you are truly seeking God, well, you still have to make it line up with the Word of God. I mean, what if the Lord had told me, you know, that that something about a person that just violated Scripture? What if the Lord, I I can't even think of... uh, 
an instance right now, but if the Lord had given me, or I thought the Lord had given me a word about a person, but it was just contrary to Scripture. Let's say, for instance, something that's absurd. You know, if I felt that, boy, God is telling me that he wants this person to go out and commit adultery, and I think that's what I've discerned, and that's a word of knowledge from the Lord. Well, see, I could put that up against the Bible, and God will never lead any of us into sin. That would violate the principle of the Scriptures. So, no, that wouldn't be God. I don't care how passionate I feel about it, how strongly I feel about it. If it violates Scripture, then no, that's not a true discernment from God. So you always take all of these discernments or thoughts that you have, and you first of all say, am I seeking God with my whole heart? So therefore, can I trust that God is putting this discernment, these desires into my heart? And secondly, is what I'm thinking or feeling line up with the Word of God? And if it doesn't, then it doesn't matter how strongly you feel about it. You don't go with it. You don't say it. But see, my heart was pure in this instance that I gave you. And it is scriptural that there are people, there, Scripture teaches that there were tares among the wheat. There are people who profess that Jesus is Lord, but they aren't possessors of it. And so everything lined up with Scripture, and I waited until it was confirmed, and then I acted on it, and therefore I got good results. Right after that, on the way home from that meeting, I was really excited because I knew now that I did have gifts of the Spirit, and I had seen them operate in me. So on the way home, we stopped at another little Baptist church on the way back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I was uh, living. And as we stopped in this little church, I was so excited that I had the gifts and that they had operated that I was praying. And I was saying, God, show me something else about somebody. Help me to be a blessing to someone else. And there was a woman standing in front of me as we were you know, doing the praise and worship service. And I just began to pray for this. And all of a sudden, I couldn't see this woman's face. There was nothing about her demeanor. I couldn't see her face. I couldn't tell if she was crying or if she looked like she had a problem or anything like that. It's just all of a sudden, I just knew that this woman was having marriage problems and that she was on the verge of divorce. I just knew it. Now, once again, I was seeking God with my whole heart. And does that line up with Scripture that, yes, those things do happen and that people do have marriage problems? And, well, of course, all those things are true. So I was emboldened, and when they said, turn around and tell somebody hi, this woman turned around to talk to me, and I just looked at her, and I said, God just showed me that you're having marital problems and that you're on the verge of divorce. And before I could even say anything else to her, I was going to go on and say, I want to pray with you and stuff, but you got to remember this was in a Baptist church, and people aren't used to things like that. That woman grabbed her purse and ran out of the church and got in her car and left. Now, you know what? I probably didn't use that as well as I should. Today, what I would do, especially if I was in a Baptist church, I would have said something to this woman to the effect of, you know, I know that this may be a little strange to you and, and you may not understand, but I'm not trying to be uh, you know, condemning or anything. It's just that I feel God's impressed me that you're having a problem in your marriage. Is that true? I would have been a lot milder. You know, I've grown. And in, and it's not that the gifts have all of a sudden gotten better in me. The gifts are the same all of the time. I'm just getting better cooperating with them. So I probably didn't do everything exactly right. But, you know, I don't know what. I know that her reaction showed me that I must have struck a nerve. 
And even though I don't know what happened, and even though she left, and that wasn't a totally positive situation, it encouraged me that, praise God, I was on target. And you know what? I started operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I've made some mistakes along the way. See, this is another problem. People will think that because they have this concept that when you operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost, it is pure Holy Spirit, and that there is zero flesh or error in it, well, then, therefore, if they were to be found out that they made a mistake and that they didn't do it exactly right, they would just fall apart like a $2 suitcase and think, oh, I've sinned against God and this is terrible. And, and it would discourage them from ever operating in the gifts again. Well, would you think that about a minister who ever said something wrong and then had to go back and says, you know what, God's shown me that I didn't say this right? No, see, we would look at that and say, well, no, he was just up there talking about the Lord and you know, you make mistakes, and we would give a person like that mercy. Well, when a teacher is teaching, did you know it's the same thing as a person operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I have a gift of teaching, and yet I've had to go back and correct. I gave the wrong scriptural reference. I was quoting the scripture. I gave the right point. I just didn't say it exactly right. Well, see, we understand that that happens in a in an evangelist, in a pastor, in a teacher, but when it comes to operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, some people think that there's zero room for error. That's not true. When I pastored a church, I taught on these gifts of the Holy Spirit. We encouraged our church members to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and to practice. I know that that sounds terrible to some people, but doctors practice medicine. They even put it on their signs, family medical practice. They give you a tablet and they say, go home and try this. And if it doesn't work, come back and I'll give you another one. We'll try that. They're just practicing on you and charging you big bucks for it. You know, the truth is you need to recognize that it takes some practice to get to where you flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we told the people in our churches that God will inspire you, but it's going to come out through you. And you could actually have the heart of what you're saying be of God and yet put some things with it that might not be completely accurate. That's the reason that the scripture says that when you prophesy in the church that the other prophets are supposed to um, uh, sit and judge what has been said by the first one. In other words, there is possibility for error. And so we told our people this. They started operating in the gifts. And I can remember an instance that one time a person got up and gave a prophecy, and then I got up and judged it, as the Scripture told me to do, as the pastor of that church. And I said, you know what, I think that the heart of what you were saying was right, and I complimented them, and I said, right up until this point, I believe that you were being led by God in what you said, but you got a word from God, and then you made a paragraph out of it. I said, if you would have just stopped right there, everything would have been fine. But then you started adding to it and making application, and I think that this was wrong, and I showed them Scripture. They understood it, and it encouraged them. And you know, because of this, people weren't intimidated they understood that God can inspire them, but they can make mistakes and they can add to what God is saying. And it doesn't mean that you're of the devil or a bad person or demon-possessed. It just means that you aren't a spiritual uh, giant yet. You're still green and growing. I tell you, if people would understand this about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit doesn't force himself, you have to stir yourself up the gift that's within you, and then the Holy Spirit just inspires you. It's going to come out through you, through your personality, with your accent 
according to your knowledge. And there is room for error and mistakes. That's the reason that the Scripture says that we have to sit by and judge. We just don't let anything be said at all. We have to judge those things. And that, you know what, you can initiate the flow of the Holy Spirit, not because you're turning him on, but you're turning yourself on. And you can also stop the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Scripture says, that you have to stop. If there's already been three prophecies in tongues with an interpretation, then just stop. Don't allow it to go anymore. And that's not wrong. The Holy Spirit gave those rules and inspired it. If you could get the concept that I've been discussing in this teaching, it's not everything that you need to know about the Holy Spirit, but you know what? It is, in my estimation, probably the most beneficial thing as far as just reasons why people don't flow in the Holy Spirit. It's because they think that it is totally as God wills. No, I believe that God is always willing to move and to touch people through his supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And it's not God who's on and off, it's us who's on and off. And we can increase the number of times that we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We can increase the gifts flowing through us just by desiring them and believing that God is always wanting to minister to people. And I tell you, this is a simple truth, but it's profound. And I encourage you with this, that if you would just take this truth... And take some of these scriptures that we've talked about. Go back to that example of speaking in tongues. And as the same way that you've received the gift of speaking in tongues, recognize that the other gifts of the Holy Spirit will flow through you. You can stir up the gift that's within you, 2 Timothy 1.6. And as you do that, you will see God begin to start flowing through you. And don't be afraid to make a mistake. It is better to make a mistake and yet begin to grow and learn and improve than to never make a mistake and not do a thing. I tell you what, if you are a kid trying to ride a bike, you are going to fall off. You are going to be wobbly at first. There's just a learning process that goes along with it. And if a kid is afraid to ever make a mistake to fall off of his bike, then he'll never learn to ride a bike. A person who is afraid that they are going to do something wrong and that it won't be pure Holy Spirit and they're just waiting on God to take them and to make them talk and to make those gifts flow, you're never going to flow in it. You need to recognize that, no, God is always on. It's us that's on and off. You need to turn yourself on, get into a position where you stir up those gifts and not be afraid to make a mistake and not be too proud to be corrected and make sure that the gifts are always for the other person, not for yourself. I encourage you to just recognize that God is always on. He's always wanting to minister to people. And whenever you put yourself into agreement and make yourself sensitive to God, he will flow through you with gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is a powerful truth.